McNair out of the box and over. Yeah! Y la verdad no creo que Estados Unidos se los estaba esperando, pero eh, feliz porque se nos dio el resultado. Mexico was just the better team all around. Really, we just never got a flow. Nair's just shaking again, and she scores! Paleo! Tuvimos un plan. Tuvimos un plan y lo completamos. Un momento histórico. Yo creo que muy merecido. Todas mis compañeras se lo merecen. here on ESPN alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. This is episode 332. And don't look now. We are very quickly approaching our three-year anniversary as a show, Herc. What are you getting me? Oh, as a show. You and I got more history than that, <laughs> Seth. Come on. Look at you. Don't get, don't get flashful. Look at you. I know, I know, I know. I shouldn't forget all that we've been through before the, uh, the beginnings here on <laughs> Football Americas. Many, many trips uh, around the world before we kick this show off, including uh, one to Russia, which I know neither of us will soon forget. We got lots coming up on this edition of the show. We're going to hear from Diana Ordonez, part of that Mexican national team, which of course upset the U.S. women's national team. She plays for the Houston Dash as well in the NWSL, so we'll hear from her. An interview I actually conducted on Tuesday, so pre-recorded, but uh, we will hear from her later in the show. We're also going to hear from Pascal Camperman. Remember him? Our I colleague do. from ESPN Netherlands back at the World Cup. That's He's back right. to talk PSV final, huge game in the Eredivisie this weekend. We'll talk about some Mexican and Americans over there as well. Also, kit drop season continues here on the show. As you can tell, kind of by what we're wearing, we're going to be breaking down the NWSL kits, which were released earlier this week. But let's start the show, Herc, with the story that we've been waiting 72 hours to talk about. The U.S. women's national team upset by Mexico 2-0, or as we uh, like to say in these parts, 2-0 in the group phase finale of the Gold Cup. Jackie Ovalle of Tigres scoring in the first half. Mayra Pelayo of Tijuana scoring late in the second half. Both of them, by the way, golazos as Mexico outplayed the U.S. You can see by the stats there, beating the Americans for the first time since 2010. Herc, you were there. Let's start from the U.S. perspective. Are you preaching calm or alarm? after this defeat. Oh. It is only one game. It is only one game. Oh, I was there. Yeah, it is only one game, but it's alarm. I mean, I thought we were in the Emma Hayes era. I thought this was progressive football, generational shift. Why did it look like much of the same? Why did it look like the Vlako Andonovsky era? Why did it look like the World Cup? I mean, you look at that starting 11 for the U.S. women's national team. Mm -hmm. I believe Sam Coffey is the only one who wasn't at the World Cup. The rest were World Cup players, some World Cup winners, mm. and a lot of what we just already saw, especially in that back line. Now, granted, the young players who were balling out weren't there, but this should really, really alarm you if you're part of the U.S. women's national team setup. And I'm talking down all the way to the top. Uh, listen, you could say they weren't dominated, uh, per se, because they had more of the possession, but I think that's by design. I think Pedro Lopez, the uh, the Mexican manager, by design, gave the U.S. women the ball because he knew that they didn't have the creativity to 
to break them down. Whether it was a low block or whether it was a high press, he was going to put them into compromising positions. He was going to play vertical. He was going to play with speed. He was going to play aggressive. And he was going to have his chances out wide. And that's what happened. Everything, every single thing that we had said we did not like about the U.S. Women's National Team, from the Olympics on, Olympics, World Cup on, was on display again versus Mexico. And listen, we've said this before. Not only has the world caught up, but now it's CONCACAF as well. And we're going to talk about Mexico in a second, but this is a major eye-opening event for the U.S. women's national team. Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons for alarm here. The first for me, Herc, is time. We got five months till the Olympics start. The Olympics in women's football, it's a major international tournament. It's not like the men. So to look this bad five months from the start of a major international tournament, reason for concern. The other one is who it happens against. So we're going to give Mexico their flowers. We're going to give them their full credit. But let's not lose sight, Herc, of who this Mexico team is. They didn't qualify for the last World Cup. They didn't qualify for the World Cup before that. They didn't qualify, for, by the way, for the last World Cup when the qualifying tournament was at home. This team has never won a World Cup game. This is not some new blossoming power. This isn't losing three in a row against England and Spain and Germany. This is a Mexico team that, frankly, I don't know if there's a single player. I'm looking at the 11s, if we're being honest, from the Mexican squad, even the squad, forget the 11s, that gets into this U.S. squad. Maybe you could make the, the argument now after this game, but you'd have to make a hell of an argument if we were just going off of CVs that there's a single Mexican player that gets into the squad. And to your point, Herc, I will use the word dominated. I will use the word dominated because in every statistical category that matters, Mexico was better. More shots, mm -hmm. more shots on mm -hmm. goal. More expected goals corners. if you put value yep. in that. Way more corners. Nine yep. to one on corners. The only stat that the U.S. had was possession. Depends on where you look. Some places give them 55%. Some places give them 60%. I think that's by, by design, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but what did they – exactly. And what did they do with it? Yeah. Whether it's by design or not, they did absolutely no, nothing Mexico, with it. No, Mexico, I think Mexico let them have the ball. Right. But the U.S. with the ball, whether Mexico allows it or not, didn't do anything with it. One shot on goal, maybe two shots on goal, depending who's tracking your stats. And that, to me, Herc, you mentioned Vladko Andonovsky. Back at the World Cup, a lot of people pointed at the coach. Well, after we saw this team score nine goals in the first two games, and you look at this 11 for the U.S. women, look at this front five, Herc. Haran and Lavelle pulling the strings for Rodman, Smith, and Williams. That front five mustered a shot on target or maybe two shots on target in 90 minutes against Mexico. We can point to the Federation. We can point to the coaches, man. These players really underperformed in this game, didn't they? Massively. And I'm going to look at that back line. You've got players mm -hmm. who have been there, done that, won World Cups. Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn. Becky Sauerbrunn had one of the worst games I've ever seen from her. Mm -hmm. They really put her, they attacked her. They made her a focal point, went after her, and she coughed up some very, very bad errors. And in the midfield, you look at that midfield, world-class players. Not the best U.S. women's national team players. I'm talking about world-class players who are bypassed, who could not break down what Mexico was so good at. And then Mexico hurt them on the wings with pace, with speed, playing a very progressive style. When I say this is by design, I'm telling you, Pedro Lopez looked at this team and said, they're not good enough to break us down. They're not creative enough to break us down. If we put them in compromising positions, they will gift us opportunities. And that is what happened. Look at this goal. Shades of Gio Dos Santos versus the U.S. men's national team with the chip. But look how it starts. Look how it starts. Rose Lavelle up the field, loses a ball, doesn't put pressure on it. Very vertical, direct one. Becky Sauerbrunn in a compromising position, tries to clear the ball over her head instead of 
out for, out for a throw-in or back to her goalkeeper right into the path of Ovalle. Ovalle then does what Ovalle does. One of the mm -hmm. best goals you will see at any level. The presence of mind to chip that over the defenders. There's a runner coming in the box. That's why the defenders don't go goal line. They got to come with the runner. They got to be there in case she passes it. It's a beautiful finish, but everything that could go wrong went wrong for the U.S. Women's National Team because of what Mexico did. And we'll get into Mexico, but this is an eye-opener. We saw this at the World Cup, Seb. We saw it at the World Cup, but at least there, they defended well. They didn't defend well here. And you could say Naomi Germa wasn't there. You could say there was a few players that would have helped this women's uh, team out. But I'll tell you what, when those players came on the field, when Midge Perch, the NWSL MVP of that, of that game, of the final game, when she came on the field, mm -hmm. it didn't go well for her. The second goal that they gave up, that's her man. That's her woman right there. That's her player that she's defending. They turn her in and then sprung her out, and then boom, side netting. This is a team that right now needs to wake up. This is a wake-up call for the players. You mentioned the players. I'm glad you did. Sometimes we treat this with white gloves, and I think they are good enough. They are, they are professional enough to accept the criticism. This was a game that they were dominated for large facets of. Yep. Uh, so the fallout of that is they finished second in the group, right? They're going to get Colombia in the quarterfinals and potentially her Canada in the semifinals. We know it's a tournament. They're still alive. Would you back the U.S. to get to the final based on what we saw through group phase play? Oh, man. Um, <sighs> they got to go through Colombia. And mm -hmm. that's going to be an issue. Colombia was a, a surprise of the World Cup. And Linda Caicedo uh, is a very good player who has the ability by herself to turn a game you know, on its head. Uh, Uzma is going to be very interesting to see if she's fit enough to play their nine who's been scoring goals. But this is a tricky game. I think they can get past Colombia. But if you get past Colombia, you still got to get past Canada, who, for my money, is the best team in this tournament. Uh, mm. this, this is why this game against Mexico was such a problem. This is why I love the format of the Gold Cup. You don't have the luxury of resting players. If you rest players with the way they reseed things, you could face a Colombia and be on that side of the bracket with the Canadian uh, women's national team where Mexico now is honestly sitting pretty. Like what they did, they did enough to make their side of the bracket, their path easier, where the U.S. women wish they could be on that side. It's a much more difficult road. I don't, I don't dis discount what they can do. They're still a very formidable side. They're still a, a team that's going to be a home team in this tournament. They can beat Colombia. They can do something as they've done in the past, regardless if they were playing well or not against Canada. But it's a very difficult road. All right, so the U.S. falls to Mexico by a final score of 2-0 in Los Angeles. Before we hear from Diana Ordonez, let's take one last look at the final standings out of Group A. U.S. second, Mexico first. Argentina qualifies to the quarterfinals as a uh, third-place team. Mexico, one of three unbeatens in the tournament alongside Brazil and Canada. Our next guest on Football Americas is Diana Ordonez of the Mexican women's national team in the Houston Dash in the NWSL. We are going to talk about the NWSL a little bit later on in this interview. But Diana, we got to start with Mexico and that amazing historic 2-0 win over the United States on Monday night. How are you feeling now that you've had a little bit of time to digest it? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I think the team was just really excited that we got a result that we felt like we really, really, truly earned. Um, I think we've just been putting a lot of work in coming into this tournament um, and also coming off of, you know, not qualifying for a World Cup. 
having to sit out last summer and watch that from home was was difficult. So I think this team was just really, really hungry. And we knew this would be our first um, big test as a team coming off of that CONCACAF tournament. Um, and obviously facing the U.S. is always a, a good challenge. But, you know, we're just we're really proud and, and happy that we got the result yesterday. What, was there a time, I don't know, maybe even as early as the first half, because it from the outside it seemed like it was kind of going a certain way. Um, but did you sense and when did you sense that kind of things were not going to go the way they usually go this time around? <laughs> uh, might surprise you to say that uh, I actually felt that early on in the day before we even got to the stadium. I mean, I think <laughs> the entire team, just the game plan, um, just the feeling going into the game. We just knew that yesterday was going to be different, that yesterday was going to be an opportunity for us to to put our names down in history. And, and that's exactly what it was. I think um, the biggest thing in the locker room in the beginning was just to make sure that we went and executed our game plan and that we didn't sit back. I think um, I've only played the U.S. one other time and we were in a very uh, bad situation in terms of qualifying for the World Cup. Um, but from my understanding, I think a lot of times it was kind of, you know, sit back and, and try not to get concede any goals and just see how we can manage them. I think going into the game yesterday, we weren't afraid. We were excited. We were ready. Uh, we knew that we were prepared and we wanted to come out on the front foot. We wanted to press. We wanted to be the aggressor. Um, and I think that's a, def a definite mindset change from the past. Um, to my understanding, obviously, like you said, I haven't been here as long. Um, but yeah, I think as early as as when we all got up that morning, I mean, we were just amped and ready to play that game. So you sub on with like 10 minutes to go. You're on the field for not the game winning goal, um, but the game clinching goal, which is really just a, a, a golazo. I mean, there's no other real yeah. um, word for it. Walk me through kind of your perspective on the play, what you're feeling, what you're thinking, because I won nothing there. The game was definitely still hanging in the balance like the U.S. was knocking on the door looking for that equalizer. Yeah, I mean, when you're playing the U.S., the game's not over till the final whistle blows. So um, I knew coming into the game, although it wasn't a ton of minutes, um, they were important ones. I think a lot of people on the bench, you know, we have a really good understanding of what our role is and what the expectation is if and when you get a chance to play. Um, for me, it was to defend, to run, to press, um, and to close out the game. And, uh, yeah, obviously with um, someone that came on as a sub, Myra, getting that goal, it's just... I mean, you can't really dream it up any better. Um, but yeah, being on the field in that moment, I mean, I just saw it. I was in front of her, so I just saw it go over my head. And when I saw it hit the corner, I was like, first of all, my goodness. I mean, Golasso is right. It was an incredible strike. But um, I mean, I've seen it from her in training before, so it's not like it surprised me. Um, but yeah, I think through and through from, from the beginning of the game to the end, everyone just did exactly what was expected of them. Um, and I think everyone just fulfilled their role to the best of their ability. And, and that's eventually what got us the win. All right. So you're saying that uh, Myra's shot didn't surprise you. It surprises a lot of people. <laughs> I wonder if this surprised you. The crowd. Uh, I wasn't there. Obviously, I'm here in, in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. It sounded on television very pro-Mexico. People who I know who were there were saying it was very pro-Mexico. Uh, what impact do you think that that had? And, and did it surprise you if that was indeed the case? Yeah, from what I've heard before, I've never played uh, the U.S. in the U.S., but from what I've heard, it's typically obviously dominated by American fans. Um, anytime a USA chant was even 
in the works it was either dominated by a mexican chant or some booze <laughs> so i mean it really felt like a home game i mean we the fans being there and being as loud and, and engaged as they were was extremely helpful to us i'm i'm sure it was difficult for the u.s to continue to hear the the roars and the chanting you know going for us and, and not for them it, it it definitely affects you know the momentum of a game so for us to have everybody there and, and supporting us and behind us, I mean, it, it makes a big difference. As we look ahead to what's left of the tournament, you know, what are the expectations? You, you touched upon wanting to be around till March 10th. Is there a belief now that, that you guys can win it all? Yeah, I think that belief uh, was there from the beginning. Um, obviously, we didn't know what kind of road it would take to get there, but I think the team came here with the expectation expectation of of winning the tournament. I think um, before Mexico was more of a participant than it was a competitor. Um, and now we're here to compete and we're here to win. Can I just ask, like, where does that come from? I mean, you know, if, if I look just back at the recent track record, even as, as recently as the, the World Cup qualifying tournament, I mean, if there was this confidence around the group, it certainly didn't show. Um, it hasn't been that long. So what's changed? Yeah, I think it is somewhat new. I think um, uh, obviously a shift in the leadership, it, it changes the way a team functions, the way we train, the way we, um, you know, interact with each other in camp and, and how the schedule runs and everything. And it it's from minor details to the things that we're allowed to do, the way we can decompress off the field to, to the way that we train. I think a lot goes into the shift that's been made in the last couple of years. But uh, I just think it's a big testament to to the Mexican Federation as a whole, knowing how much change needed to happen after us not qualifying again, um, and for them to really take it seriously and know that there is a market and there is talent in in Mexican women's soccer, um, and I think we're finally getting the the investment and the care that that we've been needing, um, and I think the group is just confident, and we have a lot of great players, a lot of different kinds of players. Um, we're not just technical anymore; we're very physical, we're fast, we're strong. Um, and yeah, it's just different. It's just different now. After the game last night, I'm watching Football Picante. And, you know, they got eight guys up there on the desk and they're talking about women's football. I, I, it, for, for 30, 40 minutes, I don't think I've ever seen that um, before. I wonder what you think of the response and maybe the, the pressure. Do you guys feel like you might be on the verge of kind of... It's a, it's a crazy comparison, but, you know, Mexico's version of the 99ers, you know, if you can really pull this thing off that you could maybe change the way women's football on the national team specifically is viewed there? Yeah, I think for a long time, um, our women's national team has been a little bit underwhelming, which has been unfortunate. I think there's so much talent um, and and promise in Mexico. And I feel like now we're just starting to show that, uh, which is amazing. But yeah, I mean, we still have a lot of work to do, but I think this team is just hungry. Like we just, we just have a deep burning desire to win. And, and when you come from a situation like, like missing out on a world cup, that desire only grows. Um, and yeah, I just think, again, we do have a lot more ahead of us. The gold cup is just in the big picture, you know, a, a small piece of it, a small piece of the puzzle and trying to get to a world cup and, and win CONCACAF as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully we can, start creating this legacy you know i hope this team becomes even more historic than it already has been just off of last night uh but yeah i think there's there's a lot of potential here for us to to really do something special
a lot of potential, a lot to look forward to. For you also to look forward to, of course, the NWSL season that's coming up with the Houston Dash. Earlier this week, we had the big league-wide kit drop, which, of course, uh, got us a chance to see the uh, new uniforms. For the Houston Dash, we got the, the classic, the orange. Uh, we got the baby blues. Walk me through your, your first thoughts on the new kits. Yeah, I mean, that orange, it's sharp. It's it's us. It's who we are. Um, I'm glad they didn't change it too much. Um, I like the little details of the stars in it. I know that's something that's a, a big deal for us. Last year, our kit was called La Estrella. So I like how they kind of kept the integrity of that. Um, that blue kit, though, I mean, it is sharp. I, we had a little bit of white and blue integrated in the last few years, but this space city blue is what they call it i mean mm -hmm. i think it's gonna look it's gonna look really good so whether we're home or away i think i think we'll do we'll do fine in the, in the kits <laughs> absolutely i spent a few years in houston and i know they love that shade of blue because it makes everybody uh think of the houston oilers back in the day so i think that's going to be a, a big seller down there um in houston if you had to pick between the two diana what are you going with the classic orange or, or those baby blues uh, I might have to switch it up and go go with the baby blue. I'm a fan. I like it. I like Let's it. Even go. though I, even though I'm a I'm a Virginia girl, uh, mm -hmm. UVA, and that's a little bit too close to Carolina blue for my comfort. But but I'll support it if it means it's supporting Houston. <laughs> All right. One last question before we let you go. Um, of course, NWSL season coming up. Just tell us about your expectations for the Houston Dash. Disappointing campaign last year. Didn't make the playoffs. But I know you guys are thinking big things for 2024. Yeah, last year was definitely not anywhere close to to the standard that we have or the standard that we want to drive um, in Houston. But, you know, we made some good trades in the offseason. We have a really, really great coach that's just come in and, and is changing a lot of things. Um, I just think, you know, last year we were really talented. We had the la least amount of goals scored on us in the league. So I think that proves, you know, that we had the talent. I just don't think we were um, organized enough. Um, I'm really looking forward to this year, getting to play alongside Maria again, obviously super special to to continue to have her in Houston and to build that chemistry. Um, but yeah, Houston is is a great place. I'm hoping that um, the fans kind of start to roll in a little bit more and and we can get more people in those seats. But uh, yeah, we're expecting really good results this year. And, and I'm just really excited to be a part of the dash again this year. Diana, thank you so much for the time. Good luck in what's left of the Gold Cup. And we'd love to have you back here on Football Americas. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Great to chat there with Diana Ordonez of the Mexican women's national team who enjoyed a historic victory over the United States in the CONCACAF W Gold Cup out in Southern California on Monday night. Herc, I want to ask you about the expectations moving forward here for Mexico in this tournament. They get Paraguay in the quarterfinal round. But before we talk expectations, uh, let's talk about the crowd, because that was one of the things that jumped out to me uh, in the interview with Diana Ordonez, and indeed just Herc from watching the game. The fact that, one, the U.S. was the road team, and B, uh, Mexico very clearly enjoying that home field advantage, and it seemed to have an impact on, on like the actual play on the field. That it did. I took my family. We were there. There were only 11,000 people. Now, I, I say only because that's less than half capacity of Dignity Health Sports Park. But the atmosphere was fantastic. It was one of the better atmospheres that I've been to, regardless of the game. And anytime there was a USA chant that was started, uh, it was drowned out quick. And it was evident that the home team was the green team and that Mexico was overtaking. And, and the players fed into it on both sides. And what I mean on both sides is 
the U.S. women's national team was clearly rattled. I don't think I've ever seen in person, on TV, in my lifetime, a scenario where the U.S. women's national team was not the home team mm. on U.S. soil. It was so evident, and they played into it beautifully, the Mexican national team. And and I think part of that is you, you, and I don't know if this is true, you know, and I don't even think it matters because if it's about the team. It's not about the individual. You said that not one of these players can make it into U.S. women's national team. Mm-hmm. Well, there are a lot of products of U.S. soccer here. Yep. There were eight on that roster, four Diana's of them. one of them. Four of them started. Four of them mm-hmm. started, and all four that came off the bench, plus Maida, who dropped that bomb. Mm-hmm. All four are also U.S. soccer products uh, of that development, whether it's college, whether it's youth national team, whatever the case may be. Maida Pelayo is from West Palm Beach, Florida, mm-hmm. and she was on the U17 U.S. national team, and ends up dropping a golazo. They played vertical. They played into their strengths. They they knew exactly how to hurt them, and this was. A massive game for them. You, you, people forget, maybe on the men's side, Mexico versus the U.S. is a massive rivalry. It's never been a rivalry on the women's side. It, it's never been dos a cero. It's never been this is something we could hang our hats on and create something here. Well, now it is. And, and games like this, fan cr- or crowd reactions like this, scenarios like this, atmospheres like this are going to do it. Yeah. I wonder about the crowd, Herc. Some of it surely has to do with Mexico, the fact that this game is played in Southern California, obviously lots of Mexican-Americans there, lots of ties to the actual players on the field. Um, Diana Ordonez played, I think, on like three U.S. youth national teams before she eventually ends up playing um, for Mexico. So obviously there's some excitement there for Mexico, but I think some of that is also apathy about the U.S. women's national team, right, coming off a historically bad World Cup. That factors into it. Um, as well. As far as expectations for Mexico now, they have a what I think is a pretty decent draw in the quarterfinals. You got the 3-6 matchup. They're going to go up against Paraguay. Uh, obviously, it's a massive chance if they do go on a deep run to kind of have what would be an epic moment for them, Herc. Do you think it's fair to expect that this Mexican team, which again, didn't qualify for either of the last two World Cups, could really finish this thing off? And maybe winning it's too much, but at least, I don't know, get to a final? Seb, they didn't qualify for the last two World Cups. They also didn't qualify for the Olympics. And that was in Monterrey on home soil for the Mexican women. They didn't score a single goal. So would it be asking too much for a final appearance? Maybe, but not with this team. And the reason I say that is you look at their new manager. They got a new manager since that fracaso on mm-hmm. home soil. It's Pedro Lopez. Pedro Lopez is a winner. Pedro Lopez is a U19 European champion with Spain. Pedro Lopez is a U20 World Cup winner with Spain. Pedro Lopez won the Pan American Games with this Mexican national team. And on the way in that Pan American uh, gold medal, they beat Paraguay, who are going to face in the quarterfinals 4-1. to one. And by the way, They'll play Brazil if they advance, if both teams advance after that. And Brazil, they're a team with a lot of individual talent, individual flair, but they're deficient in a few areas. And you can see in the game they played against Puerto Rico where they only came up 1-0, can they get to a semifinal? Absolutely. Can they beat a Brazil? Listen, the games are in Southern Cal. It's going to be Los Angeles at BMO Field, and then it's going to be in San Diego. That's going to be a major, major home boost for the Mexican national team. The way they are playing right now, they're going on 20-plus games unbeaten. Unbeaten. They've yet to receive a goal in this tournament. Can they make it to the final? Absolutely. Can they beat Brazil? Yes. It's just what happens when you get to that final. If you get there, it could be a potential rematch with the U.S. uh, women's national team or even a Canadian uh, women's national team, which is, for my money, the team to beat today.
Yeah, Herc, the crowds are only going to grow as well because we've seen, like, this. it's no longer a secret. Football yeah. Picante, as I mentioned in the interview with Diana, they did 40 minutes on the Mexican women's national team. If this team continues to advance, you bet those attendances are only going to go up. And that home field advantage that this Mexico team used against the United States, they're going to have in the quarters and the semis and the finals uh, as long as they're alive. I don't know if you caught this, Herc. Yeah. Also from the CONCACAF W Gold Cup. How the last of the eight spots in the quarterfinals was decided, okay? Costa Rica and Puerto Rico were even on points, uh, as well as all the other possible tiebreakers. So according to tournament rules, the last tiebreaker is drawing of lots. And you're witnessing the actual drawing of lots here. Costa Rica, as it turned out, moves on to the knockout rounds. Herc, are you cool with it? Absolutely not. No, I'm not cool with it. I love the way this tournament was designed. Listen. When you have to do seeding, you can't afford to rest players. That makes every game matter. Mm -hmm. To have it be out of your hands like that, from in your hands, in your own destiny, mm -hmm. how you do to out of it. You know what would have been fair? You know what would have been fair? If you do penalty kicks. Both teams do penalty kicks. And then, well, oh, no, one's in this place, one's in that place. Well, you know, our very own Mauricio Pedrosa, we did this in Aura Nunca today, and he had a brilliant Virtual idea. penalty kicks. No, no. Zoom penalty no kicks. No virtual penalty kicks. You make both teams go out. And before the game, they're both dressed, and the team that wins penalty kicks mm. plays the game. Would you not want to watch that, Seb? Absolutely. I would want to watch. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you leave it in their hands. In the, their, it's their own destiny. But to mm -hmm. pick a little ball out of there? Boo. Come on. Anticlimactic to such a great yes. tournament so far. Yes. Terrible television. Producer Beto, he, he knows good television. He wanted something more made for TV, like rock, paper, scissors. But I like your, uh, your before-the-game penalty shootout idea. That's good. Shame for Puerto Rico, by the way. Th yeah. th that program's coming along. They beat Haiti to get in. Yep. Uh, they beat Panama. Both of those are World Cup teams. And they were respectable. They only lost one nothing against Brazil, two nothing against Colombia. So would have been cool to Shout see them out in the to, uh, uh, quarterfinals. Nat Gonzalez, the head coach. He's a head coach of uh, you know UC Riverside, doing uh, double shift right there with Puerto Rico. So shout out to them. All right, uh, Costa Rica. They get the eight seed. They'll take on a number one seed Canada in the quarterfinal on Saturday. But Sunday, it's the big double header. CONCACAF W Gold Cup quarterfinals. Mexico against Paraguay, that's first. Then U.S. against Colombia, second. Both those games available on ESPN Deportes. Turn our attention to the CONCACAF Champions Cup midweek. Crazy second leg, Herc, between the Union and Saprissa. First leg, Philly won 3-2 in Costa Rica. It was tied 2-2 in the second leg when Mariano Torres scores this golazo to make it 3-2 and 5-5 five, five on aggregate. Yeah, this is when you think uh, things are going awry for Philly. This is probably on the keeper right here, and then well, look at this. Uh, like, there's there's no need here. Play goes on. I don't think Jack Elliott needs to do this right now. He doesn't need to tackle like he does there. It's a straight red. It's reckless. Uh, there's no if ands, or buts about it. Maybe the decision, I don't think he was in any immediate danger. You're, you're taking the guy out wide. Let him have it. Philly down to 10 men as Jack Elliott is sent off in stoppage time. We go to extra time, even on aggregate at five in the 94th minute. Michael Ure, the great Dane. Yeah, the Dane right there. And, and, you know, he's been on the other side of some bad finishes in this competition, whether it's this season or the past. And this is a good one right here. A man down. You're not missing from that angle, not missing from that distance. Game finishes 3-3, Philly 6-5 on aggregate. They advance to the round of 16, Saprissa going home. 
Here's a look at some of the matchups for the upcoming round of 16. Philly gets Pachuca, Robin Hood, your Caribbean Cup champions. They're going to take on Herediano, who of course upset Toluca, America Chivas. Tasty little matchup in there in the round of 16. Alajuelense will get the winner of New England and Independiente out of Panama. That second leg going on uh, as we speak. New England currently up 1-0 on the Panamanian side. On the other side of the bracket, that's where we find Lionel Messi and Inter-Miami. They got Nashville in a League's Cup final rematch. Rayados against Cincinnati, the Brandon Vasquez Bowl. Uh, Tigres Orlando, that's a rematch from last year's CONCACAF Champions League. Tigres did just enough to skate by. And Columbus Crew, you're defending MLS champions taking on the Houston Dynamo. They advanced past St. Louis. From CONCACAF Champions Cup, let's run it back over in Europe, Herc. Matt Turner gave up a uh, late goal as Nottingham Forest lost 1-0 against Manchester United Wednesday in the fifth round of the FA Cup. What do you think? Was he at fault here, Herc? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. What is Hudson Odoi doing? Get somebody in that near post, that ball, which was not a good ball driven in, not a good ball, cannot get past there. That's not on Matt Turner. He gets a header on right there from like three yards out. You have to put somebody on that post. Nobody's on Casemiro. It's direct one traffic. Look at this. It's not a good ball in. How do you let that ball go there? Unbelievable. Nottingham Forest out of the cup. Got to wonder where Matt Turner's playing time will come from from here on out. Gio Reyna did get some playing time in this game. He was a stoppage time sub. Up next for Forest, it's Liverpool on the weekend. Things only going to get tougher for a team that right now finds themselves one spot above the relegation places in England. Meanwhile, in Spain, Mexican manager Javier Aguirre has Mallorca in the Copa del Rey final after they advanced past Real Sociedad in the semis on penalties, Herc. What a moment. Yeah, that's before the penalty kicks. Javier Aguirre cracking a joke there, loosening up his players, and oh, to see you all. Oh, see you later. That's the second penalty that Real Sociedad missed in this game, won in regulation time, and then it's over. Mallorca for the second time in, I believe, 22 years. They make it back to the Copa del Rey final against all odds, plus 500 in the books. Vasco also back to Copa del Rey final. He reached the uh, 2005 final with Osasuna, only to lose to Real Betis. Congratulations to the 65-year-old Mexican manager who, of course, took El Tri to the World Cup in 2002 and 2010. Maybe we'll try to get him on the uh, show in the lead up to the Copa del Rey final, which will be April 6th. My Neutral birthday. site, of course. Hey, look at that. We got something to celebrate. Maybe we'll make a road trip out of it. Oh, uh, this please. game to be played in Seville at La Cartuja. Mallorca against Athletic Club de Bilbao. They beat Atletico Madrid. So there it is, April 6th, right here on ESPN Plus. Javier Aguirre and Mallorca in the Copa del Rey final. in the Eredivisie season, and PSV are still unbeaten. 21 wins and two draws through 23 games played. Looking good ahead of their showdown 
on Sunday with the defending champions Feyenoord, who did advance to the final of the Dutch Cup earlier today, but sit 10 points back of your current league leaders. PSV Feyenoord, no doubt one of the games of the weekend across Europe, certainly here on ESPN+. Plus. Nobody better to help us preview it than our good friend, and it must be said, long-lost colleague from ESPN <laughs> Netherlands, Pascal Kamperman. I don't think, Pascal, we've had you on since the World Cup. That's how it is here on Football nope. Americas. You eliminate one of our teams, you get a one-year ban. How about that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, that's very nice to be back, and thanks for having me. Good to see you again. Pascal, big game this week in PSV versus Feyenoord, number one versus number two on ESPN Plus on yep. Sunday. Uh, most would say this is probably a title-deciding game, but there's a 10-point difference between the two. Does this match decide the title? Yeah, it's a gap of 10 points. Uh, of course, it's a title-decider game. If it's not already decided, uh, mostly the PSV fans already say, well, it's, it's already decided. 10 points. Well, of course, if Feyenoord uh, wins on Sunday, it's seven points, then 10 games to go. So it's an important one. Even the coach, the manager of Feyenoord tonight said, well, we still believe in the title, uh, although it, it's going to be a very difficult game on, on Sunday, of course. But yeah, uh, if PSV is uh, the winner on Sunday, well, for sure, they're going to be the champion in this season it's because they are doing very well this season. They play very consistent, uh, didn't lose a game so far. So if they beat Feyenoord in the Kuip in Rotterdam on Sunday, yeah, I think it will be decisive. But it's going to be a tough one because uh, there are some players... Well, they are questionable. Joey Fehrman, for example, midfielder at PSV. It's not sure he was going to play on Sunday. He's, he's got an injury uh, yesterday in the training session. So that's a big question. Uh, tonight, Feyenoord also got a new injury. Kelvin Stenks, uh, important player for Feyenoord as well. So there are some questions around that game. But yeah. If you ask me uh, if PSV is going to beat Feyenoord on Sunday, yeah, then the title race is over. Pascal, you mentioned Feyenoord in action today in the uh, Dutch Cup. Santiago Jimenez not yeah. in that game because he was uh, suspended yeah. for it. Yeah. But just generally, he's not been scoring of late. Of course, last week he gets a, a goal in the Europa League. But beyond mm -hmm. that, just one goal in 2024 in league play what do you have as far as an explanation for Santiago Jimenez dip in form? And what are they saying about him over there right now? Yeah, he's not as at his best at this moment, for sure. Uh, he's struggling. Uh, he did score a lot of goals so far, 19 goals uh, this season, but all, the most of them before the winter break. Um, he still got the support of the fans in, in Rotterdam. He's still uh, very popular. They're shouting his name in the stadium, but he's struggling. And it's I think it's frustrating for himself as well. Um, he puts a lot of effort into the games. He does his, do his work uh, very well. But yeah, score goring is all... It's all about goal-goring for him, uh, for sure. And, um, yeah, he, 
Let's be honest, he's still a young player. He did play a lot of games uh, in the summer, also the Gold Cup, uh, as you know. Uh, so maybe that's the reason why he doesn't score so many times uh, the last weeks. But if he, he's still going on and he's doing his, his job, well, for sure he will score. And if he scores on Sunday, well, I think that it will be a big relief for him as well as for the team. So uh, let's be uh, wait and, and see what's going on on Sunday. Pascal, let's talk about Santi Jimenez's future. What's the chatter in the Netherlands right now? Is there a possible yeah. transfer in his future? And, and if so, when? Are we talking summer transfer or are they trying to hold on to him for another year in the Netherlands? And the last one to that is what kind of money are we talking about if there is a transfer here? Mm. A lot of a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of money. Uh, well, there were a lot of talks about the transfer in the in the winter transfer window. A lot of clubs were interested. Uh, Feyenoord didn't want to sell him at that moment, um, and, and I'm not sure. Of course, it depends also on the, on the last games of this season. If he's going to score again, well, then then there will be a lot of clubs interested in this summer for a transfer. Um, well, clubs named uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich. Uh, so, yeah, I think this summer there will be uh, a transfer for, for Jimenez. He, when he arrived in Rotterdam, he said, well, I'm going to play for final for two years. So mm. th then he has to leave this summer. But yeah, of course, they like to keep him in, in Rotterdam. But if there are clubs interested this summer and they like to pay, well, 40, 50 million, something like that. Uh, yeah, then there will be a transfer this this summer for sure. Pascal, if we can, let's switch over to PSV, right? Because they're obviously yeah. running away with the league. Ten points clear right now with this big game on Sunday. But they're also involved in Champions League. I wonder what your reaction yeah. was to the 1-1 draw in the first leg against Dortmund mm -hmm. in a round of 16. I felt like PSV had so many chances to maybe get exactly. even more out of that game. And just kind of where you see their chances heading into the second leg in Germany. Yeah, it was a little bit disappointing result for sure because they had a lot of chances, like you said. And and one one draw, it's it's okay. You can go with the result to to Dortmund uh, within two weeks. Uh, they have to play over there, so there is still a chance they will go through and 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 go on. Um, but it will be a difficult game for sure because uh, yeah, I think there are some problems in in Dortmund right now. There are some players who are ill. There is a virus going on over there. I read something about it. There's also some discussion about uh, the manager, so um, not everything is going very well at Borussia Dortmund. Uh, in my opinion, there is still a big chance that PSV will go on and go into the quarterfinals of the Champions League. But yeah, the result in, in, in Eindhoven was was disappointing and, and they could make it more easy if they had scored two or three goals for sure. Pascal, uh, let's talk about Malik Tillman. Listen, maybe he came as an unknown to you guys, but he was crushing yeah. it last year for Rangers, and he's at five goals, five assists right now in league play. Absolutely phenomenal season from the young American. He's on loan right now from Bayern Munich. Are there any discussions to keep him yeah. on a permanent basis? 
Yeah, for sure. They, they're talking about it. Uh, they talk about uh, on loan again next season, but they're also talking about to buy him from Bayern Munich uh, for in this summer because they are very happy with uh, with Tillman. Uh, he's, a, he's an important player already. Of course, he didn't play every game this season so far, but for example, he did play the whole game against Borussia Dortmund as well. They can uh, He can play in, in midfield, in central midfield, attacking midfield. Uh, also in a more defensively role, he can play on the left wing. So uh, he's a he's a very important player, and and the coach Peter Bors is very satisfied about his uh, performance uh, so far this season. So they, he's doing very well. No, he didn't play every game, but he's doing well in Eindhoven, and and they like to keep him over there. But yeah, that, of course, it will also be uh, very important what 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 how many they have to pay for him or if they, it's possible to get him on loan again next season. Pascal, I got to ask you about Chucky Lozano uh, before we go because we yeah. hear all this talk in the Dutch media about this player. A little of it mm -hmm. good. Uh, a lot of it seems to be very critical. I wonder what you think of the season that he's had so far at PSV. Now it's it's not the season I think he expected uh, so far this uh, at at PSV. Um, of course, he, he was struggling in the beginning of the season, uh, and there was another striker, Noah Lang, who was doing very well. Then Noah Lang is also an international player for the Dutch squad. Uh, got injured, and then Lozano played many many games. He did also play last game in the national league. Um, but yeah, he's still struggling, I think. Uh, and maybe he likes to score too much a goal or he likes to be very important uh, for the team. And, and maybe he's a little bit over energetic or... Um, but for sure, it's it's not, not the season he expected as well so far. So there, there is some criticism uh, about him in, in Eindhoven as well. Because of they know him very well and they know what he can bring into a game and, and what he can do and, and how he can play. But um, it's not the same uh, Chucky Lozano uh, if you compare him right now with the Lozano for four years ago. Mm. All right, there we have it. Uh, Pascal Kemperman, thanks so much for the time. Great to have you with us. I promise no, we'll have yeah. you on again sooner than uh, 14 months from now, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> it's number one versus number two in the Eredivisie Sunday here on ESPN. Plus coverage starts 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, PSV against Feyenoord. All right, Herc, time to look ahead to the weekend with our favorite segment, or one of our favorite segments here on Football America's Book It, where we make our picks. I wonder if PSV and Feyenoord made its way into your weekend parlay. What you got for us? They did not, but they'll oh. still be here, so don't worry about it. I, listen, I got a, a few picks that I'm going to bear with me with, but it's going to pay off big, all right? Okay. First one, we're going to go Orlando to win versus Inter-Miami in an over of one and a half goals. Two goals are scored in this game. You're going to win if Orlando wins. What do we know from Orlando? Orlando knows how to get under the skin of Messi, under the skin of Inter-Miami. Orlando's a very well-coached team, disciplined. They're going to be very difficult to play against and dynamic. And what do we know about Miami? Miami lacks legs, and Miami will give up opportunities. I don't think this is a game that Miami wins. I think this is a game where there'll be 
a few goals. I think it'll go Orlando's way, so that's part of it right there. The other one is both teams to score in Cruz Azul versus Chivas. Uh, and we know the history of Uriel Antuna and Chivas, and we know he was there, maybe thought he wasn't treated the, as well as he would like. He does well against Chivas now. And Cruz Azul, guess what? Despite their loss against America, is a team that plays very well. And the other team, Chivas, not so bad with Gago. I can see some goals here, especially yeah. on Chivas with set pieces. One in transition, Cruz Azul, the other in set pieces. And then the crown right here, a little cherry on top, is going to be Mexico to beat Paraguay. You add all these together, it's plus 1,201. The Mexico win wow. over Paraguay, yeah, it's, that's a knockout right there, okay? Mexico over Paraguay is minus 250 because it's almost a given, given their history and given the good moment of the Mexican national team right now but man at plus 1201 or excuse yeah plus 1201 uh, I think this is a believable parlay for that amount of money I mean it is believable for that amount of money I don't know who's giving you your odds here plus 1201 that sounds uh, amazing would you, you believe that into... Orlando City win at over one and a half is plus 450 somebody's giving you some value there is what I would say Dipping into the uh, MLS Liga Mekis, and you've gone with the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, Herc, for your parlay. Yes. I'm mixing it up a little bit differently for mine, though it'll look somewhat the same. I'm fading you, man. Everything you do, I'm doing differently. You're betting against <laughs> Lionel Messi. I'm betting for Lionel Messi. Anytime goal score against Orlando, I think on its own is minus 120. This one works. Uh, but I, Messi I'm thinking Lionel Messi. Totally, that, that could work for you yeah. as well. But uh, but you have bet against his team again, Herc. We should just note that for the record. Yes. I'm going under three and a half goals here in Chivas Cruz Azul. I yelled at you already what I think about Cruz Azul's attack. They don't really scare me. Chivas have scored more than two goals, I think, twice in their nine games so yep. far. I don't think they'll get there. Plus, it's a little, you know, feel of a, of a mini Clásico there. Maybe a little uh, more of a closed game. So I'll go under three and a half there. And then I talked to Pascal before I interview. He says 3-1 PSV. I don't know. I feel like this one might not go crazy with the goals, but I still think it'll have some goals in it for sure. So I'm going over one and a half on PSV Feyenoord, which of course you can watch right here on ESPN Plus, bright and early Sunday morning. It's not plus 1201, Herc. Uh, it's no. plus 191, uh, uh, but what do you think about that? I'll start Messi anytime goal scorer. Always a good idea. Mm -hmm. Always a smart bet. Uh, the guy gets his chances, and he's going to be in front of all the set pieces, free kicks, uh, penalty kicks, etc. Under on goals, I like for Cruz Azul Chivas. I think that's it could be one of those. And the over one and a half at plus, um, and the over one and a half, excuse me, goals of uh, this PSV Feyenoord game is almost a given. PSV's thinking ahead, right? Uh, I mean, they're thinking about the Champions League, and, and Feyenoord's thinking, I got to close this gap. So. So, yeah, yeah, I could be alternate squad, Feyenoord looking to close the gap. I could see some goals. There we have it. All right, so we got our uh, parlays for the weekend. Surprised you didn't sneak in uh, Gio Reyna. Plus 500 anytime goal score against Liverpool. I mean, you just, you like the transfer so much. That's why I said No, I don't like the transfer anymore. <laughs> but, well, hey, hold on a second. Hold on. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Well, if you want to go bring up receipts, I got a laundry list with you, so come on. Okay, okay, get him to producer Beto. We'll work it in. That's my parting shot. Here's yours, Herc. Mark Delgado's red card from the LA Guy Galaxy uh, Inter-Miami game has been rescinded uh, after, I guess, a second yellow card really was rescinded here, Herc. Does this make you happy? Uh, yeah, great. Uh, I'm still waiting on the Busquets simulation and then potential red right there. Uh, that, mm -hmm. That'd be the next step, right? But listen, this is them admitting that the replacement refs um, got it wrong, got it horribly wrong, but it doesn't change the fact that the LA Galaxy are out two points that they had in the bag. Mm. Sergio Busquets did admit that it wasn't even a card. Uh, Delgado will be back for the Galaxy game against San Jose this weekend. Also back? 
the replacement refs. So Ooh. what do you know? Maybe we will have a, a repeat performance out there in California. Coming up on Monday's edition of Football Americas, we will be talking, Herc, about all the things that Don Garber doesn't want us to talk about, including the refs, including the Open Cup, including USL. Their president, Paul McDonough, is going to join us. Uh, and finally, we will be looking ahead to the CONCACAF W Gold Cup semifinals because we got the quarterfinals coming up this weekend. A reminder, you can watch those games on ESPN Deportes. That's it for us. He's Herc. I'm Seb. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here on Monday. It's blue.